before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. You're about to listen to a special preview edition of the Grant Williams podcast featuring my very special guest, Chris Joy of Coolabar Capital down in Australia. Chris has been on my radar for several years and the high quality of his thinking and writing have really impressed me deeply over that time. So I am delighted to have finally got an opportunity to chat with him about uh, Australia and the big, bad, complicated world beyond. Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including The Endgame, The Super Terrific Happy Hour, The Narrative Game, This Week in Doom, Shifts Happen, and the new series Chaos Theory, is available to copper and silver tier subscribers at my website, grant-williams.com. Copper tier subscribers get access to all the podcasts, while members of the silver tier get both the podcasts and my monthly newsletter, Things That Make You Go Home. So, if you enjoy what you hear on the show and you want more high-quality content like it, please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today. And now... On with the show. Chris, welcome to the podcast, mate. Before we get into the stuff I want to talk to you about today, perhaps you can, for the benefit of those outside Australia who don't know you as well as those inside Aussie, you could give us a little quick potted background and then I want to jump into to some of the interesting things going on in the world. Yeah, sure. Uh, I started off at Goldman Sachs in London and then Sydney I worked for the RBA. After that, I studied at Cambridge University uh, where I set up a quant fixed income business. I sold that to Macquarie Bank in 2010. And in 2011, I set up a quant global fixed income manager called by Capital. We run about $6 billion US. We run global long-short strategies and long-only strategies, absolute return and benchmark-aware strategies. I have about 40 staff, nine in London. We have 12 traders and 12 analysts. We have an opportunistic market-making style. So we're typically buying and selling probably 300 to 500 million a day, 50 to 100 trades a day. We have a very, uh, I guess, strong quantitative focus, just looking for mispricings in global high-grade bond markets. So we're not so focused on the liquids or high yield. That's, uh, I think... And probably a fair primer, mate. Perfect. And you also write a very well-regarded column in the Aussie Financial Review, which is uh, which is kind of must-read for everyone down there in Sydney. That's certainly how you first came to my attention. Yeah, I do. I do. And that it's kind of an interesting discipline being forced to put into a newspaper in black and white every single week of your life, yes. your view of the world. But yeah, it's it can be cathartic and, and also challenging. Well, yeah, because you're also you're obviously it's right there in black and white, as you say, the record of everything you've said and everything you've done, and obviously people love to pick up on any kind of bad calls you make and never give you the kudos for the good ones you get right. That's right. That's right. Part of the game, I guess. Well, listen. Um, the reason I wanted to talk to you, I, I listened to you talk to uh, David Clark on a podcast a couple of months ago, and um, he had some very, very interesting things to say from a really broad macro perspective um, about profound changes to the world in which we're all forced to invest. And you made a lot of points that I've been trying to articulate. You articulate them much better than me. So, what I'd love to do, if we can, to kick off, is perhaps if you can just give us a kind of overview of those profound changes, how the world has changed and why those changes are so important for investors to understand and adapt to? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I just think in summary, 
the asset allocation that we've been conditioned to for the period from, say, 2008 to 2022 is obviously entirely inappropriate for the present period and that which we face going forward. And I think my observation, which is not novel, is obviously that we've moved from the zero interest rate world or the near zero cash rate world and the policy reflex of slashing that cost of capital at the first sign of stress and running QE to infinity and trying to pour money on problems as you know a perfect panacea, which was inexorably going to give us an inflation crisis. The precipitate this time was the pandemic, and I think that was amplified, obviously, by unprecedented fiscal and monetary policy stimulus in response to that particular crisis, which then gave us the mother of all inflation challenges, which has in turn propagated these very high uh, cash rates, long-term interest rates, and a massive increase in the discount rates that are used to value all assets. And we're now watching, I think, a very slow and iterative adjustment process. The adjustments have happened really fast in liquid asset classes, like high-grade bonds. It's debatable as to how much of the adjustment has been transmitted through to equities, which still look, I think, very dear on many measures. And the adjustment's incredibly slow in illiquid asset classes, like uh, you know, commercial real estate, residential property, private debt, high-yield bonds. You know, we've seen uh, high-yield bond spreads remain incredibly tight at below long-term historical average levels. And they're probably sitting at you know half the levels you would expect, given we're in the biggest default cycle globally since the OA crisis. We have uh, US bankruptcy filings right now running at the highest level since 2010. And monetary policy is slowly but surely asphyxiating many parts of the economy uh, with varying degrees of success because one of the novel features of this cycle is the advent of these enormous consumer cash buffers that people saved during the pandemic when we locked down cities and when we affected huge cash transfers to businesses and households. So they need to be burnt through. That's a new, never before seen, in a sense, source of demand and inflation. And that's probably why global economies have been more resilient to rate hikes than many you know, otherwise supposed. But I think um, it's quite radical and profound, as you say, the changes we face today. I personally think it's going to be a, a very long adjustment process. And it absolutely has you know, crazy consequences for portfolio construction and optimal asset allocation. Well, let's talk about that because this idea that it's a long process, I'm curious to dig into that because you know, what we've had for the best part of 15 years now is a world that was completely unsustainable. You know, I think we all knew that rates couldn't stay at zero forever. Uh, we all kind of knew that excessive valuations were being created right across the investment spectrum by these low rates, and we knew it was unsustainable. But what we now have in this profound new environment that you just described so beautifully is something that doesn't work, right? With rates where they are right now, with 5% in cash rates and the short end of the curve, very attractive. As you say, CRE, cap rates way too low. We see a world that doesn't work. And so the adjustment for unsustainable, to me, is a process. It, it dawns on a few people at a time, and eventually we get the correction we're seeing. But a world that doesn't work, I'm curious as to how you think this ultimately resolves itself, this particular high-rate, high-valuation world that we find ourselves in now? 
Yeah, well, I would um, first challenge the statement that we knew it was unsustainable. I think, you know, entire generations of investors had firstly become conditioned to the idea that, you know, labor markets would be fully employed, money would be perpetually cheap, and so forth. The PIMCOs of the world were coining the notion of a, a new normal that would be characterized by the low rates for long paradigm. We had vast waves of the economy predicate their business models on the availability of ultra cheap money. You know, on our analysis, we saw a huge increase in the share of listed companies in the US, Europe, and in Asia and the UK that didn't have sufficient income to service their interest repayments on their debts. So, you know, over the last decade, that's risen from around 5% of listed firms globally to close to 15% of listed companies in what represents you know, the rise of these uh, zombie entities that, as you rightly point out, can't survive necessarily in a high-rate climate. So I think uh, much of the community, uh, you see it through the advent of cryptocurrencies that were very successful when cash deposits paid no return. I think you know lots of very smart and successful people bought into that view of the world that that was the status quo. Interest rates were going to be very, very low forever. I remember sitting at dinner one night with the top trader from Citigroup who said to me that he thought he would never see central banks raise rates during his lifetime. But obviously other people such as yourself and myself you know, may have had differing perspectives on the sustainability uh, of those processes. But as to how it plays out right now, Grant, like the first thing I'd say is no one really knows. It almost defies comprehension, the complexity of the financial system. I would say that our sense and central case is characterized as follows. The first thing is that labor markets, despite you know record interest rate increases around the developed world, we've now had 525 basis points of interest rate increases from the US Federal Reserve and similar increases from the Bank of Canada, the Bank of England. The ECB is not you know far behind with its 4.3% policy rate. You know, in New Zealand, the cash rate is 5.5%. In Australia, it's 4.1%. So I think the first point is that the reaction of the domestic economy to those rate increases has you know, obviously been surprisingly resilient because we see global unemployment rates around 35 to 4%, well below estimates of the non-accelerating inflation rate of unemployment or the so-called full employment level of the jobless rate, um, where the economy is sort of you know, operating at equilibrium. Wage growth remains very, very elevated, much more disturbing than sort of nominal wages running at 4 to 5% across much of the developed world is the fact that when you look at labour productivity and you subtract that from nominal wage growth, and it sounds very wonky, but you examine something called unit labour costs or what we refer to as just unit wage costs, and that is the wage cost of businesses producing products. Unit wage growth or unit labour costs are increasing in Europe at a rate of 6 to 7%, very high rates in the UK, in the US at 5 to 6%, in Australia at around 8%, in New Zealand at about 7.4%. And this measure, this particular variable, nominal wages, less labour productivity, is one of the key, if not the key variable central banks use to forecast inflation. And current rates of unit labour cost growth are highly, highly inflationary. And this is what's exercising central banks, I think, around the world. So that's now manifesting in very inert or stubborn and sticky services or demand side inflation. Again, in Europe, the US and in Australia, New Zealand, all running at circa 5 to 6% on a three-month and six-month annualised basis. Goods inflation has obviously subsided as supply chains normalise. 
But most central banks are not forecasting getting back to their targets until 2025 or 2026. And obviously there's The full conversation is available to subscribers to the copper and silver tiers of my website, grant-williams.com. Nothing we discuss should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.